Hey, it's Tim. Thanks for listening to Inside Today's Country. We appreciate you downloading and subscribing. We'd love you to give us five stars. And of course, the big thing too is tell folks about this podcast so more and more people can experience it. If you're looking for somebody to do a voiceover for you or maybe produce a podcast, I'd be happy to talk to you about that. Simply go to my website, timblackonair.com. And if you'd like to sponsor this podcast, we have three levels available for you. Again, more details at timblackonair.com. Here we go with Inside Today's Country. Welcome to Inside Today's Country, the show that gets the real stories from today's country stars, stories you haven't heard anywhere else. Your host is Tim Black. Tim has been on the radio interviewing the biggest stars in the business and discovering new talent for more than 20 years, and now in his very own podcast. Are you ready? Let's go Inside Today's Country. On this episode of Inside Today's Country, we catch up with Canadian Dan Davidson, who has a brand new single out called Church, and if you're a line dance fan, you're going to like this tune. Dan also tells us what it's like to be a Canadian down in Nashville and what happens when you Google your name. Just started Googling my name just to see what kind of things came up to get inspired for a new concept of a music video because we're always doing sort of dumb things on, <laughs> on the internet. Um, so we, we stumbled across this page that had like 200, 250 line dancers dancing to sound and barn burner in the streets of Bordeaux, France. Stick around for that story and more as we go inside today's country with Dan Davidson. All the way from uh, Nashville, Tennessee, where, uh, how is the weather, by the way, in Nashville, Tennessee, there, Dan Davidson? (laughs) Well, you know what? They're calling it a polar coaster, which is a hilarious term that makes it sound fun, but it's not. It's been a bit of a wild ride. I just, you know, leaving Edmonton, where I had to fire up the snowblower twice in one day before I left, this is kind of an unwelcome surprise for me in Nashville. Yeah. Did you bring your winter gear with you or not? No, I got a toque, but they don't call it a toque here. They call it a beanie or a winter hat, which is completely unsensible. Well, we don't want to, you know, we're not going to poke too much fun of those people in Nashville. I heard an American guy call it a toboggan the other day. I'm like, oh man, you got your lingo so, so wrong. (laughs) Dude, you have not gone to Canada at all, have you? What's it it like for a guy like you, uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, from Edmonton and heading down into Nashville, what's it like for you being down there? You know, the first bunch of times I came down, um, I felt like an alien for sure. Like it is... It's kind of just different because, um, you know, we're so used to how we all talk and, and the, the, the space and, and sort of the culture of Canada. But coming down here, it's like, it's kind of insane if you're an artist because you're just overwhelmed with other music people at all times. And, and everybody's so good down here. So at first it was intimidating. And, and uh, even just the, the normal people of, of Nashville just like have this musical way about them, you know. Oh, hey, man, how, how you doing? Where are y'all from? Like, it's just like. It sounds so much more musical than, than how I say it. I just feel like I, I felt for the first little while that I was just this like boring soda cracker, sort of like white suburban dude. And uh, the more I came down, though, the more I started to like understand that people are coming from all over the world. Like there's mm-hmm. people from like Portland, Maine and people from Berkeley, California. And, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, you get to see it's like it is really a kind of a cool tapestry here. And, and the more I explored and the more I wrote with people and like saw sort of what the tourists do when they come to Nashville and sort of like what the core of the music scene does in Nashville. Once I understood sort of where those two boundaries were, it really became like way more homey to me. And this is probably like my 10th time down here. And uh, yeah, it's great. Like I say it 
my manager's house. He's got mm-hmm. a place here, and he mm-hmm. also uh, also manages like Aaron Pichette and Deck Kissel, so it's, it's starting to feel like a, a little bit of a second home. Where are the big tourist traps that people go to? As a, as a Canadian, the, you know, the first couple of times you went down there, did you go check out those big tourist traps? Oh yeah, you, I mean, you got to if you if you come down, you have to go see Broadway. It's just a circus. Like it's like there's only two two. It's like two blocks long, maybe, but. You know, it's it's Nash Vegas. Like, there's live bands playing from 11 in the morning till 4 in the morning pretty much every single day. And every bar is three floors and four bands. And, and they, you know, they shut down the street. And it's just mayhem. Like, lots of lots of people on stags and stagettes and stuff like that. The food is so cool down there. I just drown in barbecue sauce every time I come down. And it's a, it's a, good, it's a good way to go. <laughs> you know, last time I came, I was decided like i like spicy food i'm a, I'm a spicy food guy I'm, I'm into like vietnamese soups and all these kinds of things and i went and got hot chicken because that's what all the southerners eat is hot chicken and uh i i got the i got the medium just like yeah you know i i, I like i like hot i'll get the medium though and it was like the apocalypse in my mouth it was way <laughs> too hot for me so i uh i learned my lesson very quickly that can take spicy foods way more than a guy from Edmonton can. Did you tap out? <laughs> You're like, I'm done, no more. <laughs> yeah, I was like sitting in the corner just slamming beers. Oh, crying. man. <laughs> no, it was, it, was, it was cool. You know, the fun thing is that when I'm down here, I get I get to see things a little differently because I'm never with anybody. Like, I'm always solo adventures, right? And, and um, so luckily now I kind of have some friends in town. And, and this week's been great. Like, I was with... Uh, Clayton Bellamy the other night and the Black Mountain Whiskey Rebellion guys and Sons of Daughters, Nice Horse. And, um, so I, I have lots of, lots of friends in town. Jess Moskowitz here tonight. I might go hang out with Jess. And, yeah, so it's, it's kind of cool now that it feels like a home away from home. Like it, This used to be what Toronto was for me when I was doing rock and roll. I was in Toronto like twice a month, and, and now it's, uh, it's weird. It's shifted to Nashville. And you uh, say you shifted to uh, to country uh, a few years back now. What was that whole experience like for you from going from one to the other? You know, at first it was intimidating, but, you know, so, like, I was in this rock band, People of Honey. I know we've talked about it before, but for people that are just listening now, like, um, I started the band when I was 19, and uh, it was, like, this heavy modern rock thing, and it was great. Like, I was right out of music school, and, and just toured and, and learned this it was like i call it like you know rock and roll 101 it was my music industry education i went on the road and uh stars kind of lined up for us pretty quickly and before long we were opening for bands like bon jovi and papa roach and three days grace and billy talent and, and we were yeah we, we played everywhere from you know la to glace bay it was uh, a wild ride we had songs in the top 10 and and songs and sunkiss commercials but, you know everything good comes to an end and, and uh the things were things were changing in rock and roll. Like the, the the format of radio wasn't really something that we were a match for. Like it was either Five Finger Death Punch or the Lumineers. So we were, we were down in the middle somewhere. Just didn't have a home. And like, yeah, we were just noticing that the bands we used to tour with were only touring the states because Canada wasn't really embracing modern rock at the time. Mm-hmm. So we decided to kind of sh- shut her down. And and I went back to school, got a business degree, and. Of course, like when I finished my degree, I got out and I was like, what am I going to do with my life? Right back to music. <laughs> so, I, uh, yeah, you know, and I was influenced by a lot of my friends too. Like in those days, I was touring with, like my band was touring with Default a lot, which is Dallas Smith band. Yeah. So I've, I've known Dallas for like 15 years and uh, I went to see Dallas play. I think he was opening for Florida Georgia Line or something like that. And he, he told me to come to the after party. So I came and he's like, kind of pulled me aside he's like dude if you're thinking about doing 
more music. He should do country. Like he got the perfect voice and, and he got the name for it. Like Dan Davis sounds like a pair of jeans or something like that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, man, so it's great. Like, Josh is a big push for me, and, and, and Brett's always been super supportive. So, yeah, I put out a song, and, and, and things just started rolling. But I'll tell you one thing. Um, when you're asking about the switch of it all, like, I, I, I'll be honest with you. Like, I didn't really grow up as, as a sort of, you know, a country historian like, like Brett Kissel. Like, Brett could play any country song you could name. Mm-hmm. I guarantee he knows at least part of it. And for me, like, I grew up, in Alberta, so country music is there, and but it's it was always sort of just in my ether, you know. Like my dad would be playing Willie Nelson or Johnny Cash or country influence things that were more modern at the time, like Blue Rodeo and, and Lyle Lovett and things like that. And so it was always kind of in there. And when I started writing, it just started started seeping out because I just like I just unlocked that door of my writing that I always kept closed. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is intimidating still when I go out on the road and people are like, you know this song, you know you know this story about Nashville? I'm like, honestly, no, I, I know what I like and I like the music that I play. And and I think there's like, it's kind of nice for me because I feel like there's a bit of an honesty there. Like, it's not like I'm chasing something. I'm just doing what sounds right to me because I honestly don't know a lot of the, the classic standards that people expect me to know. And so it's, it's a weird perspective and it's uh it's been really cool. Like, I feel like, you know, when a little kid learns something, like learns everything about uh, their dad's favorite band or something, like I feel like I'm doing that again and, mm-hmm. as a grown up, and it's really, it's really awesome, um, especially changing my guitar style. And I'm doing my best not to like do. <laughs> this is my my beef with Canadians and Nashville. Everyone puts on gets their fake American accent, so I'm just doing my best to not do that. <laughs> You're trying to be a true, stay true to Canada. Yeah, like that's that's my focus, and my focus is 100% Canada. I come down here because there's lots. This is the hub for writing, and uh, I'm not taking a swing at the states. So I'm working on Canada, and I'm working on Europe. And let's talk a little bit about Europe because uh, that's becoming something quite interesting for you. Yeah, it's man, it's so weird. So we, uh, it's all kind of started because um, Travis, my video director, he's like my best bud, and we have an office together in Edmonton. We were just sort of googling. Uh, my name just to see what kind of things came up to get inspired for a new concept of a music video because we're always doing sort of dumb things on, <laughs> on the internet. Um, so we, we stumbled across this page that had like 200, 250 line dancers dancing to found and barn burner in the streets of Bordeaux, France. No way. So we're like, whoa, this is crazy. How did this even happen? So it, it, I guess top of my tune. I don't know how it happened, but they leaked onto this like line dancing scene in Europe. And okay. uh, just, we started getting in touch with like the line dance instructors and the clubs and, and uh, yeah, just like these like, country music groups online. And when I went over there last summer to play a festival with uh, Megan Patrick and Gord Bamford, it was like proven to me that there's a market there because in my sound check there was 500 people dancing it was like what no is way. going on this is bonkers <laughs> so yeah that was that was the start and we organized this trip around europe to go film and hang out and like meet these people so we went to budapest and uh shot part of a video and, and did like a meet and greet there and then went to uh milan and italy and met a core group of fans that, that got to be in the video <laughs> and uh yeah, so it's really it's really been interesting, and now I'm going back to France in February. That must just be mind blowing for a guy from from Edmonton to all of a sudden just have you know this great success in Europe. You know, it's 
so weird. Like I thought when, when I was done playing rock and roll that I thought that was it for my international things. Cause like really country music is Canada, Australia, and America. And, and to, to get the chance to like be able to travel and make music with my friends, it's just, it's crazy. Like I've, I don't know how it happened, but you know, I played in China and I've been to Japan and I've been to Dominican and, and France and Hungary and Italy and England and, it's just—it's so weird, man. I love it though. It's like best part of the job. It's going. You have a brand new single out, and it is called Church. Yeah, this one. Uh, this is actually a song that I wrote kind of around the same time as Sound, and you can probably tell. But it's a—it's uh, got that same energy where it's a—it's a, it's a dancing song. It's a—it's a line. It's a two-step song and fiddle music. And I just—I think like you know, I tried a few other things, and I, I really like sort of the other sides of my writing. But I wanted to release something that everyone's like, yeah, this is. This is Dan, and I think a lot of people kind of associate this type of tune with with my live show. It's, it's just a lot of fun, and you know, there's lots of smiles and dancing, and mm. yeah. lots of energy. So that's, that's that's kind of what I go on. Where where did church come from? You know, it's this one was kind of it's so weird when you live in Edmonton. There's not a ton of songwriters in Edmonton, so I uh, I end up either traveling or I do FaceTime writes with people. So I have a friend who is in Portland, Oregon. And he, he's in a band that's like a really spacey kind of radiohead band, but I know he loves country music, so I just we just FaceTime one day and we uh we were vibing off this lyric that I had this like uh I've been thinking about second base first. And I don't know where it came from. I'm pretty sure it was inspired by a print song, like a really like greasy baby making music print song. <laughs> and uh <laughs> And uh, so, yeah, that's that's where I had the line. And then I called up my friend uh, Schroeder in Portland, and we just, just FaceTimed it for two days. And, yeah, it's just one of those songs, when it comes together quickly, I think that's a good sign. And that's what it was. Like, we just had this lyric, and I whipped up a demo. And and uh, also, you know, what probably was that forced me to get it together was I was – I was in my earlier stages of this of this career, and I, I started getting contracted to play longer and longer sets. And I was like, God, I need some songs. i got to start finishing stuff. Yeah, and uh, so Church is always a good one for, for our live show. We played it. Um, it was one of the, the ones that got the most reaction when I went out with Brett Kissel last year, and we did that record-setting 100-show uh, tour. That, that is quite the uh, the tour that you did do with Brett, and he's he's quite the uh, the machine to work with. Oh, man, he's like Kissel Bob 3000. He's, <laughs> he's, uh, he's got pretty pretty driven little dude, you know? Like he's a few years younger than me, and... Uh, there's a great story about Brett when, when my band, People of Honey, would be playing Bonneville at the Wetlander, this like terrible club. Didn't have a PA, um, and this this young little dude showed up <laughs> with a with a trailer. He was like maybe 16, and uh, we'd use his PA and he'd sit outside the gig, and then we'd load it up after and he'd drive off. And you know, 10 years later, it's Brett Kissel. They're like, what? <laughs> happened? Brett's always had that kind of drive and work ethic, and just like you know, desire to succeed even from, from from when he was little. So he's a, yeah, it was cool. You know, just, he's a, he's a very professional dude and he's very organized and he's always on. So it's uh it was kind of inspiring, you know, to see a guy who's, you know, maybe five years younger than me, that's just that successful and that collected. And, you know, as far as first impressions go, it's, it's really interesting to watch the guy because, like we get to know each other's set and we say a lot of the same things and we have a lot of the same cues in, in our set. So we, we kind of learn each other's set throughout the tour. But when you see the guy just meeting somebody for the first time, you guys, like in my head, I'm like, man, this guy's got to run for office one day. Like he's just got the, 
the eye contact, he remembers everybody's names, everybody's backstory. You know, he's he's very very charming. So really really cool guy to hang out with. So definitely, you learned something from him from uh, you know when you were touring with him, and uh, it's something that you can use going forward in your career. Totally. Well, I mean, like we have a sort of different brand, but I think that the concept is the same, and it's just it's really got to be all about people and making people remember you and making sure that you're you're uh, doing something to really connect with fans and for for me on this tour that meant after every show i would wait in the lobby of the theater and talk to every single person like i was the last person in the building so, mm-hmm. so it was it was that every night and i think that goes a long way like i didn't really crush financially on that tour because as an opening act it's really expensive and, yep. and you're just hoping to like get in front of people but that i think it really paid off in a different sense you know like i saw my instagram grow by eight thousand people and i saw just a lot of people talking online and starting to request a song and share the videos and, and that's kind of what it's all about like at the end of the day it's 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 not about like oh this guy's got a, a top 10 or this guy has this and this it's, it's about how many people care enough to buy a ticket to your show and that's that's what I, you know, I got to hang out with Corb Lund last year a little bit. And Corb's like my favorite, favorite artist in Canada. And, um, you know, his career is so crazy because you never hear the guy on the radio. No, you don't. Like maybe CBC sometimes, but yeah. he, he's not on, he's not on mainstream radio, but he sells like, he can sell like two, 3,000 tickets across the prairies, you know, like in Edmonton, I think he had 4,000 people to his show last time he was there. So like, yeah, that kind of reinforced to me. It's about butts and seats. Like you can get all the little fancy metrics out there. You can collect them all, and that's great. But when it comes down to it, your worth is how much people want to pay to see you. <laughs> and that's that's kind of it. I just want to have. I just want to be playing to rooms that people are engaged with the music, and and that's the dance these days. Have you learned to line dance, by the way? Oh, man. It would be so embarrassing. I should definitely try, though. I should, that should be <laughs> so, the next music video. So your songs are out and people are line dancing to them and you can't do this? Come on, Dan. No. I, <laughs> well, I mean, maybe I'll, if somebody ever takes the microphone away from me, then I'll be in real trouble. But... Uh, who are the idols that you look up to uh, as an artist? Now, I mean, you know, we talked earlier, you talked earlier the fact that coming from the rock background, um, you know, you, you kind of got into this, but weren't really a country fan. But now that you are in country, who are those people that you look up to? Uh, well, you know, I've always been a, a big Willie Nelson fan uh, as far as the country world. And I, uh, like I recently read his book again, and, and just like such a crazy story. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's wild to see what people went through in, in the early stages of the music industry. And and he's a guy I just, I just always thought was cool. Like he, he didn't care about anything. Like he, if he liked the song, he, he would cut it. Like you know, an Allman Brothers song or a Ray Charles song or just anybody. <laughs> and I think that's like a real commitment to just like this is great music. I want to play great music. And and for me as a writer, you know, I've never released a song that I haven't written on. But it just kind of showed me like maybe it's not always about that. Maybe sometimes like I should open my mind to other possibilities and and. Uh, I thought it was like reading his book was like a good ego check. Um, so yeah, that, that's one guy that I look up to a lot. But after seeing, uh, I went to the Opry last time I was here and, and seeing a guy like, you know, Ricky Skaggs, who's, who's somehow still entertaining people at the highest level. Right. That's amazing, <laughs> isn't mind it? Mind blowing. Yeah. And he's just got so much energy. Anybody that's got energy is, is you know, for me, it's like, 50% of the show is sounding good, but 50% is putting on a show. And maybe that comes from growing up watching punk rock bands or something like that. But 
but you know, you watch like a guy like Garth Brooks and he's, he's full tilt on stage and he's, he's got everybody in the palm of his hand. And so, that, you know, as far as like live performers, that those are the kind of guys I like. Actually, this is really weird. I went and saw Iron Maiden this year, this summer. And oh, those wow. guys are like 62 years old now. And like, full sprint hitting every note carrying a flamethrower fighting a 20-foot zombie like this is a show <laughs> but uh yeah so like i find that 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 always inspires me but there's a lot of people out there that i think just have a good attitude about music and, and that's like i don't really have a creative beacon that i'm always chasing but I, there there's people that inspire me in different ways i think as a writer i love pop music as well and there's a julia michaels in, in la she's a pop artist and songwriter there's a, there's a way about her that's so conversational that I think is is super interesting. In country, like, we're always trying to think about the perfect line and the clever twist at the end. But it's nice sometimes to just have a song that we can all relate to because it's so plain speak. And uh, the way she does that blows my mind. And Marion Morris is a little bit of that, too. She's, she's quite clever, but she's, there's something about her that just feels like she's just calling up her best friend and talking. And I, I really like really like that a lot. So. Where do you draw your inspiration for writing from? You know, it's uh, for a lot of people, it comes in waves. And I think I'm one of those people, you know, if, if I haven't done it for a minute, I'm just like teeming with ideas. But uh, a lot of time I'm trying to, I'm trying to create, build it more as a muscle, try and write every single day, even if I have nothing in my brain. And, and sometimes it'll be uh, a sparkle coming from just listening to the radio, listening to other music and, somebody else say something and they're like, Oh, what if that was like a concept about this? And, and, uh, or, you know, I'll be in a crowd, like at a hockey game or, or in a mall or something and hear a, some, a girl talking to her boyfriend. And, and it's usually women to me. Like they have a way of speaking. That's a little bit more poetic than, than guys. Like I find anyway. And so I'll hear something in the background and I'll just be like, Oh, that was, that was really interesting. And I'll write it in my phone. And, uh, you know, by the end of the month I have 40, 40 titles and a bunch of voice notes that are just me kind of going like, do, 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 and they all sound terrible. And I always like, oh, they're thinking. <laughs> but that's part of the game is, you know, you got to get every idea out. And nine times out of 10, they're, they're no good. And the one thing out of 10, it feels great to write it and, and uh, really experience it. Actually, my favorite part of writing is finding a little nugget like that and letting it grow with, with other people. Like, I, I really don't like writing by myself. I like... I love talking to people and I love uh, sort of absorbing other people's energy and strength. And, and yeah, it's, I think that's why I like doing music for a living so much is it's all about connecting with people. Advice you would give somebody who's coming up uh, from beh right behind you? Oh man. Well, I think, I think, you know what it is? It's just like the yes man movie. <laughs> you got to say yes to things and, and be not be afraid to, to fail and, and, you know, spend money on something that might not work and, for me, that's that's it. And, and another thing I learned from my career is to to trust people. Like if you have somebody working for you and somebody that uh, it just feels right, you have to let them do their thing and not micromanage. And that's I think that's so so key. And I'm still having a hard time with that, but I'm really lucky. Like uh, my band and, guys take care of so much for me, and and my producer and Bill, my radio guy, and, and Brick, my my publisher. Like they're all doing little things so I can focus on what I do best and, or figure out what I do best anyway. And why are you having problems with that? Uh, you know, I think it's because I'm independent and I've always had to do everything for myself. So I've, you know, I've, when people of honey was going, like I was 
I was the band mom. Like I was the manager. I was booking shows. I was road managing. I was, I was taking care of the merch and doing the website and fundraising and grant writing and doing all these things. And I mean, I'm really thankful for that because that's what set me up for success. Like there's hardly any indie artists that are, that are really making a go of it. And I, I find that that might be because I've had all this time to spend in the trenches figuring out what exactly every single job in the music industry is and pretty much doing all of them. <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, and, and now that I, I have set myself up where I, I have some great people around me, it's, um, yeah, i got to make sure that I understand all the time that these people are, are with me because they're so awesome at what they do, and I, I just want to let them do their thing. And, and there's probably so much I can learn from these people. Like, mm. you know, Louis, my manager, he's, he's got so many hits with so many artists now, and, and uh, you know, it's, it's pretty it's pretty easy to see that just walking around. Even here in, in the condo in Nashville, I'm at, I'm looking right now at... Aaron Pritchett, better when I do number one billboard <laughs> chart position on the wall. So, yeah, it's uh, it's fun, it, and it's really it is really inspiring and comforting to know that these people are out there. What's one thing people don't know about Dan Davidson that you kind of keep to yourself? I don't keep too much to myself. <laughs> I uh, well, here's one thing: I've got a big hockey family. My uh, my two youngest sisters, I have three sisters, and my two youngest. Um, played with Haley Wickenheiser for like four years. Oh wow! Calgary. Yeah, so they're big hockey people, and and my my cousin Matt played in, on the Flames and on the Blue Jackets, and in Europe for about ten years. I had two uncles that were drafted by Detroit and uh, by Montreal. Mm. But yeah, we're a we're a hockey hockey family. <laughs> We've got a lot of that going on. Do you still cheer for the Oilers? Oh man, how can you not? <laughs> I just had to ask. Oh, uh, it's. it's it's a painful existence being an Oilers fan, my man. I'll tell you that much. I uh, I got to be I was the anthem singer for the Oilers for the bat well the backup guy anyway for a few years. So I sang probably like fifteen games maybe, and uh, and then when Connor McDavid came into the picture, <laughs> all of a sudden the Oilers main guy stopped missing so many games, and I was like, oh, how <laughs> convenient. <laughs> so you became more but, of the backup uh, guy. Yeah, I'm like a way backup guy now, but I uh, I still get to do a few games. Like I I, I did a couple at Rogers Place, and, and uh, man, it's it's pretty cool. But you know, you go out there now, and God, these guys are kids. Like they're like these 23 year olds. But yeah, it's it's you know they've been so bad for so long, and every glimmer of hope, the entire city's like this is it. You know, it's just like Toronto. You know, one day they'll win the cup again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One day. What's next for you? <laughs> Uh, well, you know, it's been, it's been uh, this whole new shift for me. You know, I, I think we can all tell that radio is changing a little bit out there and the playlists are tightening and, and the major labels have really amped up and, and they've really taken over. Like, it's, if you're not on a major label, it's harder and harder and harder to get radio play just with the way it shakes down and central programming and, and things like that. And it's just kind of the nature of the, bit, of the beast. Um, so, that being said, I'm, I'm always looking to try and get my my, you know, my little foot in the door in, in radio, but there's so many other ways I can be making fans. So I'm really trying to make sure that I'm not losing focus on the goal of putting butts in seats. So I'm trying to change my strategy a little bit and and broaden my uh, my marketing approach. So what I've been doing now is I've been um, really focusing on putting out more content than anybody else and doing it more often and making it just super interesting focusing a lot on Google advertising, things like that. So, so right now the strategy for me is like, I want to put out a new single and a new video every two months. 
and, and do the whole like, changeover of the websites and the socials and everything like that. So it's like, I've really had to think into having a marketing brain this year. And it's, that's kind of a new thing for me. I've, I haven't really had to go this deep into uh, the digital world of trying to push my music, but um, it's really, it's really exciting. Cause you know, you see like a lot of major label bands, they'll put out a record and they'll, they'll switch their, their socials and their pictures and their promo and everything. And then they'll put out two or three singles throughout the year. But like, I want to like triple that volume and just make sure that I'm always getting stuff to people that care and, uh, and just look like there's always something going on. And usually when you're putting out music, stuff does happen. So, so going forward, I mean, that's, I just started to do that. You know, I did that probably saw I did that Beauty and the Butter Lovers web series. Mm-hmm. It's this bluegrass, bluegrass covers and, and that was crazy. Like we pushed it a little bit and, and Billboard magazine had it and revolver posted it and Kerrang and some of the biggest rock blogs in the entire world with millions of followers were posting this thing. And, and um, so we did a Megadeth bluegrass song and that, <laughs> that exploded. And then we did a, a Sean Mendez one and, and Sean Mendez watched it. So that's really cool. And uh, yeah. And then a Billie Eilish one. So that was kind of like our test of my new strategy of like, being the internet guy and uh church was the second second thing that came out so october was the dd and the butter lovers november and december is going to be church and then it's going to be rapid fire throughout the year so i'm i'm constantly writing and recording and doing videos and and in between all that you know <laughs> try to try to play live so you know i mean i'm playing the great cap tailgate party on november 24th and then i'm uh taking it easy shooting some stuff throughout the next month or so and and then from there, I just have a show on February 8th in Lyon, France, and uh, heading down to, to do that and do some line dancing. I, I, I can't wait to see the video of you line dancing, man. I'm just looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah, it'll be probably, I'll probably injure myself. Throw my back out. I'll not be able to do it anymore. <laughs> Let's hope not. Dan, where can people find you on social media? Uh, pretty much everything at It's Dan Davidson. And, uh, yeah, or you can check out dandavidsonmusic.com. It's got all the links. And the new video for church is up there. So, yeah, man, hope people check it out. Dan, thanks for spending some time with us. You're an amazing guy, an amazing storyteller, and we wish you all the best. <laughs> thanks so much, Tim. It's great to chat. Thanks for listening to Inside Today's Country with Tim Black. Don't forget to like and subscribe. This has been a TimBlackOnAir.com production.